uh, turn in your Bibles this morning to Matthew chapter 6. My text is merely verse 11, but I will give you a warning that there, are, there will be many other texts that we'll be looking at this morning, uh, and you will not have a shortage of exposure to Scripture, and I think you will uh, be glad for that, uh, knowing, knowing you, dear brothers and sisters here. Matthew 6, 11 says, Give us this day our daily bread. I want to start by saying to you that our prayer pleases God when we ask Him for the bread that we need to live. We have been studying the Lord's Prayer, as I said, and some like to call it the prayer that Jesus taught his disciples. Prayer is merely speaking to God who is in heaven, but who is also near to us, our Father. Uh, I have tried to get across the idea that we can make it more complicated than that. It is merely speaking to God who is our Father. There's more you can say, but it's certainly not less than that. God sent his son to the world because of his love for us. The son gave himself for us. And the father and the son together sent the spirit to live in us and to help us because we need help. And he particularly helps us as we pray. So we pray to the father in the name of the son with the help of the spirit of God. This is a simple way of looking at how prayer is. Jesus' disciples at one moment came to him and asked him to teach them how to pray. They saw him praying and they wanted to know how to pray like he did. And he taught them the prayer that we just prayed or some variation of that. But he also taught them uh, how not to pray. And in this passage we have looked at, and I'm merely reviewing here, in Matthew chapter 6, Jesus taught them not to pray like the hypocrites. There are people who like to use prayer and other things, even giving and other spiritual disciplines as a means of their own personal glorification, as, as a means of elevating themselves. And Jesus said, do not pray like the hypocrites who pray on corners and like to show off their piety. He also said, don't pray like the pagans, those who, who chant and repeat empty words and go on and on hoping to manipulate God. Uh, for your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask. God is not one who is resistant to us. He hears our prayers and he understands what we need. And oftentimes we're praying to him for things that he's promised to give us anyway. We might ask, why would we pray for things he's promised to give us? Because it glorifies him. More about that in just a moment. But we also are told not to pray, and this might hit home, to, for un, as unforgiving people. Part of our prayer involves praying that God would forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. We are not to be people who, 
who pray asking for forgiveness but are unwilling to forgive ourselves. So how should we pray? Jesus tells the disciples and those listening here in the Sermon on the Mount that they should pray to the one who is their father, the father in heaven. Again, he is both near and high lifted up. What a wonderful thought. He is near to us, so he cares and he knows us, but he's high and lifted up and he can answer our prayers. He can do his will and he will do what he wills when we petition him. There are six petitions in the prayer. We looked at three of those uh, last time and now we will turn to the last three. And it's interesting that there's a noticeable change between the first three petitions and the next three petitions. In the first three, we focus on God. We say, hallowed be your name. May your name be holy. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We focus on his name, on his kingdom, and on his will. And then we turn to three requests that you might find suddenly uh, a sudden shift in the way these petitions are laid out for us. If you were trying to guess what Jesus would have included in his list of petitions, you might not expect him to say, ask your Father in heaven to provide bread for you each day. Maybe you think that is a rather mundane and sort of trite thing compared to these other requests for God's name to be hallowed, his kingdom to come, and his will to be done. Great cosmic purposes of God. And then he brings it down to just bread. Well, the thing is, if we want our prayer to be pleasing to God, we will conform to what Jesus instructed us. We will pray according to his will and according to the way he said to pray. And I don't doubt that bread signifies a lot more than just bread. Now, I have proposed the idea off and on in our discussions that this is prayer that pleases God. I find it a, ver a rather shocking and, and, and um, soul-wrenching thought that there's anything that I can do that pleases God. And yet, He is pleased when we do His will and when we obey Him. And He also tells us in 1 John 5, 14 and 15 that this is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And so again, my premise here is that our prayer pleases God when he, we ask him for the bread that we need to live. Now, I've said this is a rather low-key request, or it seem, would seem to be, give us this day our daily bread. But there are three important implications uh, behind this petition, three things that we need to consider, because when we pray this prayer, we're, we're really saying uh, three other things as well. First of all, when we pray give us this day our daily bread, we are saying that our Father in heaven wills that we continually 
depend on Him. That we continually depend on Him. Jesus specifically spells it out this way. Give us this day. That means we don't get to ask for all the bread we need for the rest of our lives. As if we could store it up. It means that we have a daily dependence upon Him. That we continually come back to Him day in and day out. To draw from Him what we need. Bread being just a symbol of what we need to live. In Psalm 100 verse 3 it says... Know that the Lord, He is God. It is He who made us, and we are His. We are His people and the sheep of His pasture. So we are told that we are to pray to Him daily for the means that we need to to continually be sustained in life because He is our Father in heaven. He is the creator and sustainer of all that exists, including us. To pray daily means that we do not presume on his goodness. It's easy to be presumptuous, especially when we live in an abundant economy. We enjoy much. If, even if there were no food, we still have places where we can go to get a free lunch or breakfast or supper. Most of us have not known that. But if we're honest, we, we know that at any moment we could go from having abundance to having nothing. Ask Job. He went from being the wealthiest and most respected person in his society to losing everything in a moment. We should not be presumptuous, and coming to God daily for our needs is a way of showing that we depend upon him continually and that we're not presumptuous. Remember when God delivered the Israelites out of Egypt, he took them through the wilderness You remember the story. He taught them to trust him for manna every day. They could not store it up as it would spoil, that is, five days a week. And then on the sixth day, they were told to gather enough for the Sabbath. On the Sabbath day, there was no manna. All this was to teach them obedience and trust in God who would provide for them each day It was also to teach them to keep the Sabbath day holy. There's another lesson built into the story of the manna. As they learned to trust God for for their daily food, they they also learned, or at least they were supposed to learn, that spiritually they needed God's word to live. In Deuteronomy 8, verses 1 to 3, we read this. And Moses, of course, in Deuteronomy, reiterates the history of Israel to them and the law and kind of interprets what they were supposed to be learning from it, kind of a review session before Moses passes away. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 1 to 3, it says, The whole commandment that I command you today you shall be careful to do, that you may live and multiply and go in and possess the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers. And you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep his commandments or not. And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live 
by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. And so the deeper meaning of the manna story was that God was teaching them to depend on him for the provision for the things that would keep them alive. But more than that, he was teaching them that they needed to depend not just on food, but on the word of God to sustain them spiritually. Let me ask you, my brother or sister, how much do you depend on the Lord continually for the provision of your physical life as well as your spiritual life? Does your prayer life show that you recognize him to be the one who sustains you? Does your time in his word show that you recognize that without his truth, it's impossible to walk with him in, in the light? Are you as desperate for the word of God as you are for daily food? God is pleased with our prayer when we ask him for our physical and spiritual food and do not presume on his goodness. So ask, don't presume. So the second implication of this prayer that we're making, give us this day, our daily bread, is this, that our Father in heaven wills that we become, or that we be content with his providence, that we be content with his providence. Give us, Lord, bread. Even though the Lord never failed to provide manna for the Israelites in the wilderness, he also was teaching them contentment. They complained about the manna after a while. It wasn't like the food of Egypt. Yes, it kept them alive, true, but it was no gourmet delight. In Numbers 11, the Lord heard their complaining and he was displeased with them. They craved meat like they had in Egypt. So he sent them quail, but he warned them and they would eat it until they were sick of it. One of the greatest dangers in our spiritual lives is the danger of discontentment. It was the serpent's appeal to the woman in the garden. You can have more. You can be more. Why settle for what you have now? Why not go to the next level? Why not move on and progress in who you are and what you are? That's what Satan was saying. That's what the serpent was saying to the woman. Is there some new or novel teaching that is drawing you away from the gospel of God's word? Beware. In reading church history, if you've read, you'll notice that church historians trace the departure of the church from truth. Oftentimes, especially in the 18th, 19th centuries, so such things as strategies and policies that make the church more successful or more relevant. We can reach more people if we just tailor our message a little bit more to what's cool and groovy right now. The gospel is replaced with methods and gimmicks to attract more people and to impress the world. We need to be aware of that. We need to flee from that temptation of discontentment with what God has given us. Maybe we're meant to be a church of 200, 300. Maybe that's it. Maybe we'll be less. Who knows what God has for us? The question is, will we be faithful? Will we be faithful? You look at those who are, quote, successful in ministry today, 
And many times you find a message that's completely devoid of even the name of Christ and certainly of the gospel. This week I listened to a podcast interview with a, a, a person who had formerly been connected with the prosperity gospel movement and with a well-known television preacher uh, whose promises are such that if everyone in the congregation, uh, that everyone in his congregation will be healed. He promises that. So there was a defection, and this defector was interviewed, and he told how the leaders of this movement live with such extravagance. It's shameless, but they deny the truth of Scripture. For example, 1 2 Timothy 3.12, Indeed, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. I promise you persecution, you who want to live godly. So the interviewer asked this man, do the leaders of the prosperity gospel movement sincerely believe what they teach or, 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 or are they really deceiving people? It was interesting, his response. He quoted again from 2 Timothy verse thir- two, uh, verse thirteen or 3, verse 13, he says, while evil people and imposters will go on from bad to worse, deceiving and being deceived. His answer was both. They are both deceived and they are being deceived. They both deceive and they are being deceived. There are no shortage of voices that will call us away from faithfulness to God and to his word. Some of these voices sound very reasonable But as we were reminded from Pastor Charlie last Sunday, Christ's priorities are prayer and the preaching of God's word. Let that always be true. Paul, in his letters to Timothy, emphasized the importance of contentment, godly contentment. In 1 Timothy 6, verse 6, we read this, going from verse 6 to verse 10. But godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. But if we have food and clothing, with these we will be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evils. It is through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. Let me ask you this. Have you settled it in your mind that your greatest contentment is found in God, in knowing Christ, in growing in the knowledge of Him through the simple diet of prayer and the Word? I pray that you will settle that in your heart and not be distracted with other things. So the petition to give us this day our daily bed is a petition built on a commitment to find our contentment in God and His provision for us, whether it be manna or meat or neither. God is pleased with our prayers when we find our contentment in His provision and in Him. There is a third implication from this petition, and this is certainly the one I want to emphasize this morning. Our Father in heaven wills that we eat 
not merely daily bread, but the bread of life. The bread of life. Uh, Lord willing, in a future sermon, we will return to this prayer and we will look at the rest of the petitions that Jesus gave. But you can scan ahead and see that the rest of the petitions say basically this, forgive us, lead us, and deliver us. After praying for bread, the Lord tells his people to pray that they may be forgiven of their debts as they forgive others, that they will be led, they will be guided, not into temptation, uh, and that they will be delivered from evil because we are liable. We are liable to be unforgiving. We are liable to wander into temptation. We are liable to commit evil acts. And we need daily bread, but there is another bread which Jesus talked about, the bread of life or the bread that came down from heaven. Who is the bread of life? I would ask you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew, I mean, sorry, John chapter 6. In John chapter 6, we find an incident in which Jesus has fed 5,000 people with five loaves and two fishes. In a parallel sort of way, we think about Moses hundreds or a thousand or two years before in the wilderness and God sending manna down on the Israelites in the wilderness and making them, giving them food. And then we find Jesus in also a, a rather... Uh, solitary place where 5,000 people are gathered and he feeds them with food, with fish and bread. The result of that incident was that they decided they wanted to make Jesus king and he rejected their intention and told them that they were missing the point. So we read that he, after he uh, fed them, he slipped away from them and crossed the sea. By the way, in the meantime, he saved the disciples from shipwreck on the sea. And they get to the other side and the people come looking for him. And in that setting where he had uh, fed them, they had become enamored of Jesus and they wanted him to be their king. They figured he could heal their sicknesses and he could feed them. What better government could you have than one that provides everything you could think of? So the people searched for him. I'm going to read a very long passage now. I don't often do this, but it's as if Jesus was saying to us, this is the bread I want you to seek to have. Even though we need daily bread to live, we need spiritual bread, and here it is. Picking up in verse 25 of Matthew or John chapter 6, we read this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, you are seeking me, not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. 
Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Then they said to him, What must we do to be doing the works of God? Jesus answered them, This is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he has sent. So they said to him, Then what sign do you do that we may see and believe you? What work do you perform? Our fathers ate the manna in the wilderness. As it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus then said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, it was not Moses who gave you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. They said to him, Sir, give us this bread always. Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and yet do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and whoever comes to me I will never cast out. For I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. And this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. So the Jews grumbled about him because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. They said, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How does he now say, I've come down from heaven? Jesus answered them, do not grumble among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up on the last day. It is written in the prophets, they shall all be taught by God. Everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and they died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven so that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. The Jews then disputed among themselves, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. Whoever feeds on my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, I live because of the Father. So whoever feeds on me, he also will live because of me. 
This is the bread that came down from heaven, not like the bread the fathers ate and died. Whoever feeds on this bread will live forever. Many of those who ate the bread that Jesus provided for them did not understand what Jesus was teaching them. They grumbled about his words. They didn't get it that there are two kinds of bread. One is mere manna. It is the food that perishes. We can eat it for as long as we live, but we will still die. It will keep you alive for a day, but ultimately will not save you from physical death and certainly not from spiritual death. Jesus is the true bread so that one may eat of him and not die. So how do we get that bread? Jesus spells it out very clearly. It is by faith, by believing on the one that the Father sent, Jesus, his Son. Let me ask you today, what bread are you seeking? Are you seeking the food that perishes or the food that endures to eternal life? Are you seeking mere manna? Or are you seeking Jesus Christ, who is the bread of life? This morning, in a few minutes, we will celebrate the covenant that he made with his people. We will eat of the bread. I'm told it's the crunchy bread today. Okay. Just giving you a heads up. The bread is insignificant, whether it's crunchy or the other kind. The point is that we eat. And when we eat, we eat of Christ. When we drink, it's a cup of his blood, of his, the blood that made the covenant with his people, the covenant in his blood. I urge you this morning, if the Father wills that we eat of the bread of life, so may you eat. There is an old and popular idea that the human body is inherently corrupt while the spirit is pure. In this view, we should deny our bodies in favor of our spirits. But Jesus said to ask our Father in heaven to give us this day our daily bread. So we ought to take care of our physical bodies as best we can. And God promises to raise us up in the resurrection and make us new, new bodies, confirmed in righteousness and no more able to sin. We're not dualists. We don't separate body and soul saying the spirit is good, the soul is, the body is bad. Nor are we materialists who say there is nothing spiritual. It's all about stuff. It's all about things. It is not all about things. It is all about Jesus who saves those who come to him. In closing, let me say that we do need our daily bread to live another day, but much more we need the bread of life to live forever. Take him by faith in the one who gave himself and trust in the one who gave himself for all who believe in him. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for the plain and simple way that you taught your people to trust you with daily manna, they had a hard time getting the message, and so do we, that they need your word every day, that they need you every day. And you fed 5,000 people. And they also did not really get it. Lord, will we not be like them? 
May we understand that our life depends upon eating of the bread that came down from heaven. Grant us grace to do that. In Jesus' name, amen.